one of the things I w- always wanted to try. I haven't shot one with a shotgun in, in quite a while, and I kind of miss that a little bit. And um, I think it'd be kind of fun to stand stand with a shotgun behind a tree and have the birds come into the decoys and have the decoys just be like six yards from the tree and then just jump out with a shotgun and try to, <laughs> try, try to get the tom to take flight and then shoot him out of the air. Shoot think, it out of the air. Are you serious? I think that'd be so fun. Uh-uh. Oh, um, <laughs> You know what? I might have to see that just to see Aaron's response to that if he's in the group or or Brad's response that that would be just comical I'm gonna do it with pink socks on and an Elmer Fudd hat there you go you have to wear an (laughs) Elmer Fudd hat (laughs) Dave Smith Chris Stone how the heck are you (laughs) what's going on buddy Oh, you know, another day in paradise over here. Uh, I'm just counting my blessings. I don't. I'm just kidding about that. I should be. I guess I'm. I'm alive. But you're alive. You you made it out of bed this morning. Yeah, exactly. I'm still. I'm still upright. I can still like bend down and tie my shoes. Barely. Um, I can't really see my feet, but yeah, I can tie my shoes. So. <laughs> it's all good. How about you? Yeah. Good. Just uh, plugging away working getting ready for turkey season and living everyday life right on what's up chris what's up brad what are you doing ah just hanging out with dave here and scott we're trying to get in uh three podcasts today which is a record for us we've done two but we're feeling extra ambitious today so or or extra lazy however you want to look at it yeah i guess are you uh gonna stay hydrated with caffeine drinks or the other type of drinks or just water or what well you know whiskey worked really well for me a few episodes ago but um that was when we were recording at my house and uh we're at dave's today so i'm just drinking water here and it's morning so like <laughs> bloody mary's maybe but well what's funny is the time when we went, went to brad's house and he's like yeah we should we should drink whiskey like you know it'll just kind of You'll be laid back and everything. And I'm like, oh, okay. So Brad pours me this whiskey. And like, I, I mean, I I thought I had a pretty high tolerance for alcohol or whatever. And Brad is just like chugging this thing down. And next thing I know, I'm like, the, whole, the room is like spinning. I'm like, what in the hell? Is... <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was, it was strong. Nice. Yeah, you don't want to be a quitter. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like every... It was peer pressure. Everyone else was doing it, so I was like, "Well, I, I better just, I better just suck it up here, do it." Especially since I didn't have to drive. So, anyways, Dave's a lightweight. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> the thing is, I have a Mexican wife, and she makes margaritas all the time, and so mm-hmm. you would think I wouldn't be that much of a lightweight, but and you know, but yet I am, I guess. Gotcha. Maybe she's putting the diet stuff in your margaritas. <laughs> yeah. So how's the weather in in sunny California right now? Uh, Today we have a little bit of a clearing, but this has been one of the wettest winters uh, probably in a decade down here. Oh, wow. Um, It's been raining or snowing for the last about two months. And um, at my house, we've gotten three different uh storms that dropped about six to eight inches of snow wow 
And um, do you want to tell everybody where, roughly where you're at? Uh, Northern California, east of Sacramento, up in the foothills. Yeah. What's the nearest, what's the nearest town, Chris? That, that, or the nearest, I mean, there's really not, <laughs> there's really not hardly any towns that anyone would have heard of. Uh, there's, I own or I won Jackson, um, <clears throat> Auburn's, Seattle. Auburn's 40. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like so I Auburn, Auburn is, uh, not, not too far. It's just North. It's, um, about the same elevation I'm at. And what, what elevation are you at? Um, right around 22 to 2300 feet. Okay. And that is some of the prettiest country I've ever seen in my life. And I, what I think of there is big deer, lots of turkeys. And I, I always picture that there's big giant bobcats that are like worth a thousand dollars a piece in that area. But I don't know. I can't confirm that. Yeah. There's, there's quite a few bobcats around here. Is that um, right? Yeah, you, even uh, the wild pigs are starting to kind of grow in this area, so that's kind of good. Um, mm. I enjoy bow hunting them. Um, hey, I saw I saw a cougar got down into the valley the other day in North Natomas, which for those who don't know is a suburb in North Sacramento. Did you did you hear about that? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. That was a pretty good, healthy male male lion. And I mean that's clear down in the valley. I mean, North Natomas is 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 centrally located in the Sacramento Valley as you get. I mean, you're what, ten, fifteen miles from from the, the coast range or the Sierras. Correct. Yeah, and I'm I mean, I'm guessing there's you know, the Sacramento River, there's the American River, uh, then there's all the drainages off those. I'm sure you just Followed one of them down and then got lost. Yeah. So, but yeah, there's way too many cats here. Way too many. Same here. Boy, yeah, in Oregon, we 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 kind of have a big problem. About the time that the population was was really really high, uh, Oregon voters voted to outlaw the use of of dogs for hunting cougars, which is really the only effective method. And so that, you know, had a huge effect. A population that was already high got even, got even higher. And now the irony is, is that there are certain places where they have no choice but to control the population. And so uh, the only effective way of doing that is, is with dogs. And so, so now instead of having hunters, you know, pay money to buy a license and, and or, you know, hire a guide and, and all that stuff and uh, support the local economy and everything like that. Now we pay uh, government hunters to hunt cougars to keep the population in check, uh, and they use dogs. So that's just classic. Makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it makes a whole lot of sense, like a lot of, like a lot of things in our, in our government here in wonderful Oregon. Yeah, it's the same down here. And, you know, before they, in California, put lions on endangered species list, um, they looked at the number that the number of lions being harvested by hunters and then they compare it to nowadays the lions that are killed by trappers and fishing and game and the number killed now by trappers and fishing and game i mean is a lot more than it was back when you can legally hunt them but 
they're not making any money off of people who want to hunt them. So yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I was a boy when they outlawed dogs and as I recall, California actually kind of spearheaded that one before Oregon. I think it happened a year or two uh, earlier in California. I remember they had those campaigns where they were showing how, you know, the the cougars were attacked by the by the dogs, and I think PETA funded most of those ad campaigns and it you know would show dogs chasing down cougars and and the unethical treatment and everybody in california of course felt so bad for the poor cats and until they started creeping encroaching in to uh urban areas and stalking and or killing joggers yeah yep it, it uh it happens. So unfortunately, uh, us people in California, we got to go out of state to do it. And even if we do that, you know, there's still the legality of not being able to bring it back into the state per the uh, fishing game codes and, and law, even though it's not constitutional. But so. Oh, are you kidding me, Chris? So, so you not only. Not only is there no open season in California, but you can't legally possess a a cougar that was harvested in, say, a neighboring state like Arizona, where cougar hunting is legal. You can't you can't take that animal back into California. No, you can't. Um, per the a fishing game law, uh, when they wrote the Endangered Species Act, they slipped it into the language that you could not also bring into the state um, mountain lion parts taxidermy meat any any part of the cat whatsoever um, the only exception that they allow is if you're going to pretty much use the part of a cat for some type of educational purpose like stick it up in a museum or maybe in a school or some type of uh, public office building where its primary purpose is education, um, you know, and which is heartbreaking because I know a lot of guys like myself have gone out of state and harvested lions and, you know, they'd like to bring, bring some back to whether it's the meat to enjoy at home or the taxidermy to put up in their residence. And, um, you know, if they're sticking to the, that code, then they, they can't really do that. Um, you know, I know a few people here, there, they'll, you know, they'll cover uh, their basis of which route they come into California and they'll bring them in and just kind of keep it quiet. Um, but I, don't know, I just, I'm not willing to take that chance and right. you know, I gotta, I gotta do the right thing. So, well, and plus we'll, you know, we'll just do a sculpture for you. Uh, we'll just make a DSD cougar yeah <laughs> uh, we'll put it on the list anyways uh, we'll get to it um and yeah cougars have a they they have a uh, they predate on turkeys uh and so and it would be and young teenage boys right <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh are yeah, we talking right. about mountain lions yeah right mountain lions oh <laughs> well, well, yeah and by the way i wanted to say earlier too since we are since california is in the in the conversation um 
Brad said, Brad was talking about that they outlawed cougar hunting when he was a boy. Um, since we do have some California listeners, a lot of people might think that Brad is no longer a boy. He, ac- he actually means now that he's a man. Um, he hasn't changed genders or anything like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, thank you for making did, that clarification, Dave. Uh, yes. Uh, but anyway, if he did, he, he's protected. So. Yeah. That, oh, good. Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah. So, Well, anyways, the reason why we're talking to Chris Stone today, besides he's our good friend and uh, a great a great guy, he is a fantastic turkey hunter. And we th- when we think of Chris Stone... Um, and his group of hunters, we always think of natural setups. Chris is the master of doing um, what, what we call natural setups, which is archery hunting with no blind. And I think for you, Chris, um, it's kind of had gotten to the point where um, maybe you needed a little more, a little more challenging way, and that, that kind of came up as, as the ultimate the ultimate way is that how you would describe it? Yeah, um, I was just thinking about it the other day, and um, yeah, I was about seven, eight years ago. Me and my buddy Joe, who you guys have met, know real mm-hmm. well, Joe Freighter. Um, you know, we were strictly bow hunting turkeys, spring and fall. We were doing it out of blinds and using the first, you know, generation of your guys' decoys and having great success and your decoys plus the blind, I mean, just changed turkey hunting dramatically um, as far as close encounters and being able to get uh, successful uh, archery kills and archery shots on turkeys. Um, And after doing that for a few years, I just kind of, wanted, I guess, more of a, a challenge, wanted more of a, uh, you know, even more close contact with the birds. And so told Joe, I'm like, Hey, we're going to ditch the blinds this year and go natural setup or bust. And, um, that's pretty much the way we've been ever since. And, uh, it's, it's been fun. Now, Chris, for correct me if I'm wrong, but was I not there for one of the first ever times that, um, that, uh, you decided to go on a, a natural, a natural hunt when, when Aaron called those two long beards in and I shot one of them with a, with a bullhead. Yeah, that was, I believe that was the first year, um, which we decided to, to do that. And we kind of talked to you into doing it and i know you you'd had a few natural setup archery kills under your belt i believe up to that point and we all know aaron's not a uh, big fan of the blind Um, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we went to that spot found those two birds and thinking back that was that was an awesome hunt i mean oh man his calling was amazing going going back and forth with that hen and watching the video um, that you took with my camera, I you know every once in a while I'll go back and, and look at it. Just listen to the audio of Aaron and that hen calling. You can't tell you know which is Aaron and which is the hen. I mean it, it's it's that he's that good. Yeah, he is. He's uh, he's when it comes to turkey calling and hunting and just killing them. I mean he's pretty amazing. I've learned a lot from him throughout the years and. 
a lot of my calling, I try to duplicate what he does and, you know, just try to get as much out of it from him, watching him, listening to him, and also just kind of conversing with him about it. And yeah, he, he is one of the top callers out there, in my opinion, from what I've heard. And, you know, the results prove, speak for themselves. He is really natural sounding. I, like he doesn't, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people that can sound like a turkey as far as the sound, but but the cadence might not be super random or natural. Um, but Aaron is just it's just it's it's spooky how natural how natural he sounds. Yes, yeah, it is. And um, every time I hunt with him, you know, it kind of gives me a break away from having to call. And I just I enjoy listening to him call and the bird's response. And we usually have pretty good pretty good success and a lot of fun. Well, and you gotta, you gotta love that you don't have to haul a a blind around now too. Oh yeah. That's, that's an amazing part. And you know, um, no blind. So you don't have the weight of that. Um, you can move a lot quicker and faster without a blind and just the whole aspect of having to blend in and pretty much, you know, play the, uh, that part of the old, way back when Indian turkey hunter. It's just uh, it's a lot more exciting. And then tell us about the setups. Like, you know, as far as are you sitting directly on the ground? And I, I know your camo is going to be really important. And, you know, do you, do you have something um, as a backdrop? Um, majority of the time I try to sit either alongside something or just behind it to where um, with my bow – um, I can easily still swing left or right, but I'm kind of hidden behind it, whether it's a tree, um, a bush or a rock. Sometimes though, depending on the terrain and where we're at and the situation, we might have to set up in front of something. Uh, if we do that, we try to definitely have a backdrop behind us that we blend into. Um, you know, I, really really emphasize that blending into your habitat and your surroundings where you're hunting is um, a huge part of the success of killing a turkey without a blind with your bow and and when you're going around prospecting chris before you um before you in, in engage with the bird in other words before you start calling to him are you scoping out places as you go for potential hides yeah yeah i'm looking for you know as you say it hides um where i can set up um have a good vantage and you know good shot opportunities um also depending on where i stick the decoys um as far as where i'm sitting and how far the decoys are going to be from me but i'm also kind of considering where that bird is in his path to me uh-huh. where, um, you know, I, I try to avoid birds coming in from behind me or the side, unless I have certain cover that's going to cover their approach to the decoys. Um, you know, sometimes it may be, I don't see the bird up until the point that they're actually on top of the decoys, um, which if I can't see the birds, they can't see me. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, you know, that's a big, big, important part of it as well. And then are you, are you sitting with your butt on the ground or on a pad? 
or kneeling? Majority of the time, yeah, I'll, I'll sit on my butt, either on a pad or on one of those really short uh, stools, mm-hmm. lightweight stools that you know I think they get you off the ground four to six inches. Yep. Yep. Um, occasionally, I'll go to my knees, but the older I get, I mean, the less time I can stay there. I just they start cramping up and it's not comfortable. And when you get in that position, you tend to start moving more just to get into, um, you know, more comfort, whether you're shifting your weight back and forth and being on your butt, you're able to sit still a lot longer. And that's, a, you know, it's really important when that bird's coming in, you not only want to blend in, but you don't want any movement. You don't want to draw their attention away from the decoys to you. Um, you know, then they're going to start studying that bush that just moved and, you know, try to figure out if it, if it's safe or if it's a, a predator that they've never seen before they continue to the decoys or get out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and what about drawing? Do you have any, any special advice on, on when to draw? Um, so I normally, when I'm kind of thinking of the setup, where I want to sit, which direction the birds are coming from, I'll also look at, um, you know, an obstacle kind of inside of my setup where I'm going to put the decoys. And when I say that, I mean, um, you know, if I've got a tree that's one, two, three feet across, that's out near where I want to set my decoys, I'm going to use that tree to my advantage and I'm going to set the decoys a little bit closer to that tree. So as the turkey comes into the decoys, he's going to pass behind that tree. That's going to give me, you know, more than enough opportunity to draw once his head goes behind that tree. Um, You know, it could also be a bush. It could be a rock. Um, But sometimes I'm not afforded to have that perfect tree in my setup where the decoys are. So if that's the case, um, a lot of times I'll probably wait to draw until the turkey is in. He's interacting with the decoys, whether he's attacking them, mating them, or, you know, flogging them, um, or simply his head has gone behind the decoy out of view. Mm-hmm. Or, or behind his fan. I really like it when they're in strut and they, they turn their back to you and... Show, yeah, show yeah. Their if, tail they're fan. Strut, if they're strutting and, you know, they, they turn, I mean, they're, they're doing all the work for you. You know, they're giving you a perfect opportunity to d- draw your bow and then, uh, you know, gives you time to set your pin and let it go. And then you gotta, you gotta practice shooting that way a little bit too. And people are surprised at how hard it is to draw your bow. And if, you know, all these guys that have these 80 pound bows, um, that are having to sky them and everything like that when they draw and then I try to try to even uh, sometimes even in a ground blind or something, but when you're sitting, it seems like it's harder to draw your bow. Yeah. The, the weight um, I I saw in an article, they say when you draw on your bow sitting down versus standing up um, the weight that it feels like you're pulling is almost doubled of what it is normally. So I believe it. So it's like you're drawing, 70 pounds standing sitting down they say it's almost like you're drawing 140 pounds and then it's more important than ever to 
like in the case of a tree, if a turkey's walking, like um, you don't have that much time to get the bow drawn. Like if it's if it's walking and it's going behind a tree, you have to get it drawn fairly fast. And then other fairly fast, but smooth as well. But smooth, yeah. I was going to say otherwise, if it's while the bird's interacting with the with the decoy, then you have to be really, really smooth so that you can't be skying the bow and all that stuff. No, um, a lot of times when I'm practicing, specifically before turkey season, I'll mainly do all my target practice from a sitting down position and I'll have the bow out in front of me with my release on in that position just prior to drawing, if that makes sense. So all I have to do is slowly pull back into a drawing position, which will make the least amount of movement. Yeah, that sounds good. And then would it be cheating to to put together like a, a really quick semi-ground blind of, of a few limbs? No, I mean, I, I do that as well. Um, even though, you know, call it natural and we're not using a blind, um, I mean, I've got several setups and spots where I kind of hunt year after year and I'll use some branches and some bushes and I'll kind of make a natural, um, you know, setup or a natural blind using some vegetation just to kind of help blend me in, um, maybe help kind of cover, you know, the lo- lower extremities of me. Um, and especially if I've got, you know, my daughter or someone with me, that kind of helps protect or blend them in as well and cover any movements that they might make. Right on. Well, and I've, uh, but I've also seen lots of video of you um, where you're pretty, pretty in the open. There's not much cover, but you're just really, really careful about the timing and your camo. I think you wear, um, you wear a lot of the kind of green, greener um, color Kuyu. It seems to blend in really well. And then you just, draw your bow really smoothly and i think i think i've seen videos of you and joe getting doubles that way yeah yeah we've gotten um quite a few doubles that way um regarding the the camo and the blending in um you know we we set our decoys up from eight to 12 14 yards at the most away from us so those turkeys are fairly close and um you know big proponent of hundred percent camo, you know, head to toe. Um, we try not to wear any colors that just don't blend in that are not natural. Um, out here in California in the springtime, it's like Ireland. Uh, it's very super green, super vibrant. So we try to match our, our camo and our accessories, you know, with the colors. Um, so the and time yeah, a lot of, the time that I wore white socks, that now what the thing is, what you guys didn't realize is that turkeys are. I didn't used know to if seeing... you wanted me to bring that up or not. <laughs> well, okay. Well, first of all, I I did forget to bring my camo socks, so I so I was stuck with what I had to to fly in, but I forgot to bring socks at all. But what you guys don't realize is I was actually way ahead of you guys because turkeys are used to seeing small patches of snow here and there. So I was actually, uh, really, that was all planned, and it was actually a really natural thing. So, yeah, they're they're used to seeing patches of snow when it's eighty degrees in <laughs> May in California. Well, yeah, you, they you probably thought that know. was like a, a 
McDonald's cup that was thrown out on the road or something. Yeah. That just happened to be there. Exactly. Yeah. Next time I'm going to take a felt marker and put golden arches on my socks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chris, it, it also seems like you guys try to stay out of the direct sunlight. Would you, would you say, is that correct? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, try to stay in the shadows as much as possible. Um, it's just being in, in the shadows, you know, you're able to blend in more. It doesn't illuminate you. Um, you know, it doesn't make anything on you or your bow stand out. Um, like being in the direct sunlight will, um, you know, there's been, a rare occasion where the setup just, you know, you find yourself not being able to sit anywhere other than right in the direct sunlight. And you just kind of got to be careful of what's visible and you got to be even more, um, you know, careful of your movements. Yeah. And then let's talk about equipment. Um, tell us about your, your arrows, broadheads, um, and where 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 you're aiming for on the bird and all that stuff uh so this year i'm shooting a prime ct5 um it's about 72 pounds 29 inch draw um it is in their ghost green color so it it'll blend in quite well um i did a few years ago have a bow that was in the Kuyu Vias pattern mm-hmm. and I've talked with a lot of people about it that pattern for the woods here in the habitat is just way too light of a color and it's and the pattern stands out and so with that bow I actually uh did a do it your you know DIY paint job on it could blend in better um I just painted it with some darker browns and greens but, um, so I'm shooting the prime this year on the arrows, uh, I'm shooting gold tip kinetics, uh, total arrow weight is about 477. So it's, you know, it's, it's up there in weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same arrows that I shoot big game with. Um, I do that for a couple different reasons. I don't want to have to change my bow tune or my bow setup or the gaps on my, of my pins on my site. Um, plus for turkeys, in my opinion, they can be one of the hardest animals to get a pass through on if you don't hit them correctly and you're not shooting the right setup or the right broadhead. So I, I like a heavier arrow when I'm shooting turkeys. That's fascinating that a, you know, a bird that weighs 17, 18 pounds can, you know, withstand the, you know, the impact of an arrow, you know, just, just absorb all that energy without pass-throughs. But I've seen it so many times. Yeah. Like, it's amazing. Yeah, yep. absolutely. You yep. know, and, and in the meantime, you watch, you know, you watch an 800-pound bull elk take an arrow through it. Like, I mean, it looks like butter, the arrow going through it. Well, how about yeah. antelope? I've, I've shot several antelope lengthwise through the body. And the it, the arrow just blows through the whole. I mean, through bones and everything. Wow. And but yeah, turkeys like I mean, you get several layers of feathers. I mean, that alone is is quite a bit of armor right there. And then there is certain angles on the bones where that's pretty tough. But then you've got several layers of feathers on the other side. 
Yeah. Well, and I think the feathers on the side that the arrow enters create drag too. Yeah. They grab arrow, like the arrow, the broadhead grabs the feather and immediately begins to slow down and, and resist the penetration, you know, through the, through the skin and into the flesh. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with the broadhead as well. Um, you know, I, I'm shooting rad fixed heads and then I also will carry, um, a couple tripans in my quiver as well. Okay. And uh, so with, those are the same weight as what you're, um, you said that you don't have to change your setup for when you switch to big game. So are those broadheads the same weight as what you're shooting big game with? Yeah, they're all hundred grain broadheads. Okay. So, and, um, you know, I've had great success with both of them. Um, definitely get more penetration uh with the rad fixed heads versus the uh expandable but um i am a big believer that if you have a heavy enough arrow and you're shooting enough weight um it's you know shooting a big expandable on turkeys is, is pretty effective yeah yep yep i'll agree too and, and where are you aiming so on turkeys, um, you know, there's a lot of diagrams out there and a lot of pictures of where, and a lot of uh, 3D targets where they have kind of drawn in their own uh, turkey vitals, which I'm going to say right guess. now, what's that? It's a big guess. Like there's some of them that are pretty, that are pretty well, bad. Mo- yeah, I would say, I'm going to say majority of them are not accurate at all. Um you know, most of them are either too low or too far forward, mm-hmm. where if you hit a bird in either spot, you're going to be hitting them in lower legs or you're going to be in that breast wing. Um, you know, turkey's anatomy, uh, their vitals sit up high and farther back. Yep. Um, on a broadside turkey, whether it's in strut or standing, kind of that, that wing pit area you don't want to be any farther forward than that wing pit um so anywhere from there back you're going to be in the vitals in the chest cavity um and a turkey's vitals sit you know a half of the way to a third of the way up on the turkey uh they're definitely not lower mm-hmm. um so you know a lot of it depends on angles and just knowing your turkey anatomy um, another safe way to bet that you're going to be in the turkey vitals is to look at the legs and always go up the legs or always go in between the legs. So if a turkey is quartering to you or away from you or straight at you or straight away from you, if you can see the legs go up a half to a third of the way and then go directly in the middle between the legs, you're pretty good bet you'll be in the vitals mm-hmm. i always like that straight away shot when they show their back to you yeah yeah i've, I've honestly i don't think i've ever taken one of those shots just because i'm a little for some reason a little leery of it um i don't know, maybe one of these years i'll just break the mold and turkey shows his butt to me i'm gonna let it fly but <laughs> well remember we'll when dave pinned that bird that the bird came we had two birds come in on the particular hunt i'm thinking of we had two birds come in 
And one of them just started thrashing the Jake decoy like nobody's business. And he pro he postured up on the decoy and turned his back to Dave. And Dave put an arrow through his back and literally pinned that bird to the decoy. Oh yeah, that was that was a classic. That was a great hunt. Um, and then you end up smoking that one at like forty yards with your bow right after that. <laughs> oh, that's right. That yeah. was a spectacular yeah. shot. And sorry about your decoy, Chris. By the no, way, no, that. Believe it or not, that wasn't the first time that's happened, Dave, and it's, it hasn't been the last time. Um, I want to say that we've pinned turkeys to decoys half a dozen times, mm. you know, on shots. And it uh, it doesn't bother me because it doesn't really damage the decoys at all. Well, and that was a – well, and plus you know a, you know a guy, right? Like if it does damage <laughs> the decoys, like hopefully we can yeah. – We'll, exactly we'll, we'll find one somewhere and buy it for you um yeah. well yeah and like i think that was a that was a straightaway shot but but the the bird wasn't in strut and that's that's kind of the straightaway shot i like i i still feel kind of weird about taking a, a straightaway shot if it's if it's strutting um, just because that tail moves side to side a little bit and i never know exactly what i'm shooting at but boy when the when the tail's down I do like that straightaway shot where, where you know you're going through the whole carriage and, and through the center of the back and all through the vitals. That's a good that's a good shot. That's the yeah, shot I, I was referring to, too, by the way. Okay, yeah, I, I like that one. Um, and I've taken that one a few times. The one I was talking about I've never taken is, you know, full strut away from you. Just oh, for the yeah, reasons that yeah. Dave, Dave was talking about, you know, they can kind of shift their fan to the left or the right in – you know, you might think that the center of the bird's there or there, but it's actually not. So, and, well, and plus, also who the, wants to cut any feathers out of the tail? Yeah, fan, I know. know? <laughs> ruin the picture. Yeah, ruin all the pictures. Well, and the the uh, the, the whole skeletal carriage um, is is dang narrow. Like, I don't think people realize. Like, if you're going to take a shot, a front on or a rear shot, you better be pretty much in the dead center because there there's not a lot of width there you know there's not a lot of room for for error no i think it's maybe about the size of a baseball it could be maybe a little yep. bit bigger but that's yeah. you know yeah it's not not that big yeah i i actually was on a hunt where i i um there was a landowner who would never let us hunt and finally we invited him to go and he because he always wanted to shoot a bird with his uh, with his bow and we set up a blind and, um, called in this big Tom and, um, my friend Justin was kind of coaching him. We were in two different blinds. I was calling in one blind and he ended up having a straightaway shot at the tail fan and Justin told him to take the shot and he hit right in the dead center of the tail fan, but the bird had moved quite a ways. Um, so even though the fan was directly, was directly perpendicular to him, it it wasn't a good shot and we lost that bird i think i think you know that was a that was a good lesson right there well what what else what are the other secrets what would you what would you tell somebody who kind of wanted to try this um regarding gear regarding gear um one little thing i'll touch up on um a lot of people if you know if you're gonna hunt natural setup like we're talking about um I'm, I get pretty detailed, even down to like my vein colors on my arrows. Um, you know, a lot of people have 
bright green, white, red, blue, bright pink. Um, kind of my, what I do is I'll either lightly spray paint to cover those in a natural color, or I'll take like a black felt marker and dole them up. Um, being so close to the turkeys when they come in, I don't want them to pick anything out on me to when to where they're going to kind of then study what they're looking at and then spook. Um, so just one of the things regarding gear is try to go as natural color wise as possible to blend in um, and don't, you know, overlook even the smallest things such as, you know, your blades on your arrows or another bow accessory or part. So that makes sense. What about your face? What do you, do you use a face mask or, or paint or what do you do? I've done both. I majority of the time I prefer not to wear a mask um, because that'll change your anchor and can make your point of impact from, you know, your arrows hit completely different way off from, you know, where you normally practice without a mask where your arrows are hitting. Mm -hmm. um, so I normally uh, either do like face paint or I'll use a cork, burn the ends, let it cool off, and then I'll apply the burnt cork to my face just to blend in my face and take the sheen off of it. Is yeah. that legal in California? I mean, isn't that <laughs> to burn the considered cork? blackface? As long question. as you're in the woods. If you go into downtown San Francisco or Sacramento, you, you might have problems with that. Uh-huh. Yeah, and and I wasn't so sure what you were getting at with the the fletchings. I thought maybe you were saying you were dulling them down to create a more gender neutral color because you didn't want to offend anybody. Uh, yeah, me too. They look too much like an American flag, and that could offend a bunch of people. So that's right. You know, was... <laughs> uh, um, and then what about your your release? Uh, your release aid do you um, use let's say a trigger release or thumb or yeah i use a spot hog wise guy and um you know it, it's pretty much all black it's got a little bit of a purple but it's nothing too bright um occasionally i'll take a felt pit uh a, a marker to it and maybe color on the purple just a little bit but it it really does blend in and as long as i'm being still and not moving, you know, it doesn't draw their attention to it. So a wise guy is, has a really, really, really light. It has a um, almost no trigger travel, but it's but it's it's not a heavy pull. So are you resting your finger while the bird is there on the trigger, or are you keeping your your finger behind the trigger until it's time, go time? Um. So I keep my finger behind it until it's about go time um you know i'll settle my pen get my anchor and then once i'm settled on the bird then i'll slowly move my finger in front of it and um just you know execute the shot but yeah it is um you know it's a, a short uh short release as far as the the distance the trigger goes and um it's pretty light poundage as well mm -hmm. and then Chris, what about um, what about your your positioning of of like your hips when you're um, when you're waiting for that bird to show up and the position of your bow? Are are you taking those things into consideration to maybe 
you know, um, minimize your, your movement or, or what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, um, like I kind of explained or said earlier that if I have, if I'm set up on a side of a tree or just behind a tree, uh, cause I shoot right-handed, I'm always going to be on the right side of the tree, or I'm going to be behind the tree on the right side, you know, as far as right or left looking from my direction. Um, I'm normally, like I said, I'm sitting down, so I'm going to have my legs, um, in reference to the decoys there, my legs are going to be out at a 90, 90 degree angle, you know, more to my right. And then I'll have my bow positioned aimed right at the decoys. Or, um, if I have an obstacle that, you know, once the turkey goes behind, then I'll draw that way I can stay on the bird when he comes out from behind it. But I'm normally pointed in the same direction, um, of the decoys that way when it's time to draw there's no swing the bow back and forth there's no mm-hmm. extra movement that i don't need to do uh to give away my location hmm. and what do you use for decoys i mean obviously um, we know the brand Lambo decoy no <laughs> hey hey i actually like Lambo. so uh, uh um what like what what are your what are your poses and um so up until last year, it was pretty much the, you know, the DSD, the Jake, and then um, depends on situation, but majority of times off the roost, um, I'll put as many hens as possible in the spread. You know, usually that could be three, four or five hens hmm. um, just to kind of give more of a off the roost um, effect that, you know, all the birds are bunched up. Um, and so I'll have hens kind of scattered around in a certain angle, um, to where I can see them all in case I need to shoot at a bird that's quartering one of the hen decoys, but I want to make sure as well that my, uh, setup is centered on the Jake because majority of the time they come to the Jake, uh, to, you know, posture up on it or, beat on it or scare it away, but there has been an occasional hunt where, you know, a bird comes in, even though the Jake's visible, that bird just goes straight to the hen, um, and courts the hen. Yeah. I've, I've had that happen. <clears throat> and then, um, you know, throughout the day, later in the day, I usually won't set up as many hens just because, you know, during that time of the year, turkeys naturally, they'll start to break up hens will start to kind of go away from the main flock and start nesting. And so you'll see birds a little bit scattered later, later during the day. Um, so that's why I won't set up as many hens in my setup later in the day. Okay. Um, do you ever do a hen or hens only or a Jake um, only? I lately, the last couple of years, um, it's, been very rare that I've used one decoy and that decoy has been a hen. Um, the last time I did that was probably six years, five, six years ago. And we did have a good hunt. Um, I think on that setup, we actually, Joe and I, we got a double, um, but the birds, they came in and then they kind of 
stood out there at 18, 20 yards strutting. And it was later season, so I think they were kind of, you know, they've been kind of chased off by other hens that were done breeding. And so they were a little leery of coming too close to that hen decoy. And so they kind of stayed out there at a distance. And luckily I dropped the bird I shot. The other bird then went to his buddy and Joe shot that one. Nice. Um, but majority of the time I'm, you know, always have a Jake decoy and one, at least one hen. Okay. And, and what percentage of the time, Chris, are you, are you hunting with other people versus, versus by yourself? Um, I, the last time I hunted turkeys by myself during the spring, uh, was probably 10, 15 years ago. Um, I'm always hunting with another person, whether it's Joe or another friend or a family member, or now my daughter, um, you know, sometimes we'll have a group of four or five guys. Okay. And so you guys really work as a team is what I've kind of noticed when, when I've been down and, and, and hunted there with you guys as far as, as far as the, the guy who's the, the, the shooter is not calling usually. Correct. Yeah. Normally not. Um, cause you know, we want to take as much attention away from his location as possible. Um, you know, plus we enjoy videoing the hunt. We enjoy taking photographs during the hunt. So that's always, you know, an added kind of bonus and we enjoy doing that and, you know, taking good footage and great pictures. And so that, that's part of it. Um, and then when we get, enough guys to where, you know, we could play that, that team aspect to the hunt. Um, sometimes that makes a huge difference where you might have one or two guys who can go float call in certain directions to bring the bird past the hunter and up into the decoys. Um, I know you and Aaron have had several hunts similar to that, where, you know, if Aaron wasn't float calling, you might've not brought those birds where they needed to come yep yep for sure and if if anybody's not sure what i'm talking about on on float calling for the listeners um kind of when you have a bird that is hung up whether it's by vegetation or a fence or he's just kind of shy of coming the last 20 to 50 yards into the setup Flow calling, we'll have a guy go the opposite direction um, and start calling aggressive, acting like a hen that's leaving. Um, and a lot of times that'll bring that bird, you know, the rest of the way into the setup and it's quite effective. Yeah, I I kind of think of when the way that you guys hunt, it reminds me a lot of good, good elk hunters. Yeah, you yeah, know, it's the same, same, same thing. Yeah, that's cool. Well, um, how's it how's it looking right now down there? Have you been have you been scouting at all? Yeah, yeah, it's there's a ton of birds this year. Um, you know, up until this year it's been, you know, fairly mild winters. Uh we've had some really good hatches. Um right now what I'm seeing, uh, birds are definitely showing, you know, dominance. 
Um, a few of my buddies have said they've seen a few birds doing it um, the last week. So that's kind of, that's good. It puts them right on schedule because our season opens up here in three weeks for the juniors. Um, seen a lot of longbeard, seen a lot of jakes. Um, so it should be pretty good. Just hopefully the, the weather kind of dries up a little bit. Right on. And what's your, what's your next, what's your next goal? Like, okay, you've, you've taken it to this level. I mean, what, I mean, what about shooting one while you're standing up or something like that? Or what, <laughs> like, I mean, spearing them from here. You got to spear them. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of, I still enjoy those, you know, doing it this way, bow hunting them naturally. Um, you know, calling them in close to the decoys. Um, you know, I, I'm not definitely getting tired of doing that. Um, it still, you know, lights me up and gets my adrenaline pumping for sure. Um, I guess right now, turkey hunting wise, um, this year I'm working on my slam. So I'm going to Iowa, Nebraska, and South Dakota. Um, so I'll be able to knock out a couple sp- different species there. And then I, after that, eventually I'll just need to make a trip down to Florida. Nice. Well, that's awesome. Where, where are you going to hunt there in, um, Nebraska and South Dakota? Uh, so near Omaha in Nebraska, uh, South Dakota's the Black Hills for Merriam's. And then, uh, I'll be in Iowa for an Eastern. Are you, are you going to, are you going to do it DIY in the, in the Black Hills there? Um, so yeah, if I go to the Black Hills, um, it'll be with a buddy, who knows the area and it'll be, it's public ground. And then, um, Iowa spot that's private property. It's a farm out there that I have a buddy who lives and he owns the place. Um, and then the same thing with, uh, Nebraska that that'll be on private property. Right on. Yeah. I've been out there to South Dakota and hunted the, the black Hills and, it was a lot of fun. It really um, reminds me a lot of Eastern Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, just the the terrain and you know the elevation and and um, and the habitat type and and the birds and and how we ended up hunting them. Um, they they were very vocal on the roost, and they shut up extremely fast after they would fly down. I mean, you would get maybe one hour of good gobbling out of them. Um, when I was there in, in early, uh, early May. Yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable. And then, and then in the evening they were kind of hit and miss and some evenings, um, you know, right before fly up and on the roost, they were semi vocal and other evenings it was like, they didn't make any sound at all. And, and what's funny is you could, you could be um you could be up on a ridge top uh one evening and not hear a gobble and the next morning you come in there and they are just lighting it up i mean all up and down that ridge as far as you can hear you know and and i mean wound up <laughs> nice yeah it's always fun when they're like that for sure yeah and i know those those type of canyons and hills you know a lot of times you can almost set up or be eye level with them you know if they're up in a big ponderosa roosted and you know they those gobbles sound like they're right in your face yep 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 so but i'll tell you what this year though 
I'm excited about your guys' new Jake, the Strutter. Yeah, us too. Yeah, so that kind of surprises me. It's it's funny, um, you know, we didn't get we didn't get many requests for a decoy like that, and then we made it, and all these people are coming out of coming out of the woodwork saying how much they uh, how they are looking forward to hunting with it. And it's like, well, why didn't you tell us before? <laughs> we would have made it sooner. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, you know I talked to Brad last week about that decoy and you know up until this year i've always used your guys's jake decoys um up until last year's the your you know the basic jake and then last year i used the um the mating motion pair quite a bit and had really good success um but something brad and i were talking about using those jakes versus like a strutter um as far as bird interaction seems like with the jigs you'll get birds that come in to the calls come into the decoys fairly quick and then once they get into the setup majority of the time they kind of are expecting the jake decoy to to take off to run whether you know if it's a long beard or a group of birds and it kind of always takes them a few seconds or a minute before they interact and attack it or whatever they do to that decoy where with the strutters, it seems like there's more of a instant violent attack sort of, you know, interaction, which I've never hunted behind a strutter decoy um, before. And I'm kind of just looking forward to using the Jake strutter and just kind of see the difference in response. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's an interesting point. And I don't think a lot of people realize that, um, like with the Jake, it can actually be slightly intimidating in the fact that it doesn't run away. And meanwhile, a strutter can be um, look really vulnerable or or kind of clueless. Um, and so, yeah, it's um, it it it'll be yeah. I think you'll have fun. I think you'll have fun with that uh, with that Jake strutter, and it should be a lot easier to use than than our our original strutter as far as, you know, having wing wings on it already and a beard on it already is where all I have to do is add a tail fan and it's a little bit smaller, easier to haul around. Nice. Yeah. I was thinking even I might, uh, use if the situation's right, attach the, the, the string and the handle from my, uh, the mating motion pair and maybe attach it somehow to the Jake just to give it a little movement if needed. There you go. Yeah, you know, I've done that for years to my um, original strutter, and I swear by it, man. It it works. I can't even tell you how many times I've had a bird or birds come in, and they get to a certain point, and they're just not real sure if they should, you know, approach and um, stop at 60, 70, 80 yards, and boy, I tell you, having that pull cord is nice. You just give it a little turn. And a lot of times, I would say, honestly, the vast majority of the time, they will continue coming. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I can't wait to use that. Yeah, well, man, I tell you what, I know we keep saying it, but one of these years we got to get back down and hunt with you guys because <laughs> I miss it. I miss it so much. Yeah. Yeah, it's been – this will be – three years now oh geez yeah i can't even remember the last time yeah probably about 
Uh, probably about three years. I mean, I was coming down just about every season there for quite a while. But when you have a growing company and the springtime is, you know, the busiest time of the year for us as far as filling orders goes now, it's just hard. Yeah. Well, you guys know you're always always welcome to come down here and we'll tie a few birds to the trees for you. <laughs> we appreciate that. That's what we need. We need them tied to the trees. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, one of one of the th- one of the things I w- always wanted to try, I haven't shot one with a shotgun in, in quite a while, and I kind of miss that a little bit. And um, I think it'd be kind of fun to stand stand with a shotgun behind a tree, and have the birds come into the decoys and have the decoys just be like six yards from the tree, and then just jump out with a shotgun and try to <laughs> try to get the tom to take flight and then shoot him out of the air shoot think, it out of the air are you serious i think that'd be so fun uh, oh um, <laughs> uh, you know what i might have to see that just to see aaron's response to that if he's in the group or or brad's uh, response that that would be just comical i'm gonna do it with pink socks on and an elmer fudd hat there you go <laughs> you have to wear an elmer fudd hat uh, <laughs> that's fun <laughs> So, all right. Well, thanks. Thanks for talking to us. And thanks for all the great, great tips. It's really, it's really fascinating. I know there's going to be a lot of people that are really excited about trying it now, but you are one of the true pioneers of, of that method. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoy it a lot. And, you know, I enjoy trying to help others out and, you know, having them do, you know, try it out and having them become more successful at it. So, you know, I, constantly get a lot of uh questions and phone calls before turkey season you know about little tips and tactics regarding natural setups and you know even hunting with a blind um you know i still do that quite often especially with my daughter now um you know i'll be hunting out of a blind with her um she's going to be shooting a crossbow so um you know there's there's also that whole aspect of using a blind as well but um yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy seeing people's success and, you know, I try to uh, help them out and try also to kind of document our seasons as you guys have seen and, you know, been a part of with videos and photographs and try to, you know, put that online somewhere for people to see as well. Right on. Cool deal. Right on, Chris. Well, hey, buddy, it's great talking to you. Thanks for coming on, and um, good luck this season. Thanks. Appreciate it. And, um, you know, you'll be getting some photographs soon. Can't wait to let the madness begin. All right. Love it. Thank you, Chris. All right, guys. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.